Sean Ashton is well known in the investment community in South Africa. He works with Omba, uh, which is London-based. He, of course, is based here at home still. But uh, two weeks ago, he wrote a very instructive piece that was published on Biz News, which focused on the American stock market, where he highlighted how the big caps had massively outperformed the medium and small caps. And really what that means is that shares in the smaller companies in America have done worse than those in the bigger companies over the last five years. Now, we're going to get into that in some detail, talk about the Magnificent Seven and uh, exactly what a big cap and a small cap is, and even the gorilla game, which I'd love to get Sean's views on. But before we go there, it's so interesting, Sean, and we were talking a little off uh, camera um, a moment ago about how South African investors have kind of discovered that there's a world outside of the JAC. And more and more people who live in South Africa are now getting that there's an Amazon, an Apple, a NVIDIA that they can invest in rather than Barlow's, Anglo-American and Sunlum. This has been a, quite a rapid transition. It took a long time for that penny to drop, but it's been quite a rapid transition lately. I'm surprised it's taken as long as it has. Um, I would have thought it would have been obvious as long as 10 years ago, but but I think what's happened is the, the you know, local investors have woken up to just how much damage they've suffered in terms of opportunity cost of investment, certainly over the last couple of years. Um, and perhaps it's through necessity that they're forced to now think about alternatives. But yes, I think one of the issues really is that you, you know, the, the local South African market has become very concentrated in terms of not just concentrated your investment universe has shrunk i think liquidity is concentrated in pockets of a handful of large stocks and outside of that there's not much that that goes on um and you know if you want global exposure you you're limited to i don't know probably five stocks that the you know five meaningful stocks uh that, that give you exposure outside of just the the resources sector that's not good enough. I think you know, one of the one of the best reasons for for looking further afield is that you can find a, a wealth of different opportunities you know, across many different sectors. It doesn't just have to be one sector. And it's not just the investors who are getting this. Uh, in the past week, Coronation Chief Investment Officer, uh, I think his name is Carl. Anyway, I don't remember his surname, but he uh, that's that's him. Yeah, uh, he was uh, saying that it's been a it's been a lost decade. South African investors, and yet for most of that past decade, Coronation, Old Mutual, you name it, they were all banging the local is lacquer drum. Magnus Hastick must be feeling uh, happy about this. What about you? What has what what your strategy been in the past year, the 10 years? Um, look, I mean, uh, my strategy has been to externalize as much as possible um, and to focus more on, on offshore investments. I, I can't remember the last time I spent much time on, on an SA stock. Um, it's it's literally that long ago. So so my yeah, I try and think as a global investor. I don't I don't see myself as a South African investor at all. Um, and I think that's you know, that doesn't mean that South Africa might go through time periods where it outperforms. I think a lot of the value guys would be uh, banging the, the drum potentially on South Africa representing a, a good value opportunity. I think that the problem we face now is that a there's a liquidity issue. So for big institutional investors, it's very hard to differentiate outside of the top 40 if you, if you do sit in that camp. How do you add value? Because all of the portfolios will look by and large the same. Um, 
But secondly, I think that as a country, it, it looks like we're losing critical mass of everything, of taxpayers, of skilled individuals, um, yeah, it's, it's of infrastructure even, physical infrastructure. Uh, so it's very hard for me to, to paint. A, I can't make a case for being invested in South Africa. It's the honest truth. That's that's how I see things. And when it's such a small part of global, not, not until the, the governing party changes, <laughs> which I, I don't bet on that happening. I'm not going to bet my career on that happening. But it, it it is an interesting point. We've got an election coming up on the 29th of May, and uh, well, I guess all bets could change Potentially. after that. A bit I'm of not going to front run that bets, All bets could go the other way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but when you then go back into the way that you focused on the international markets, uh, presumably it does give you an advantage to be to be in this internet age where information is available to everyone virtually simultaneously. Uh, well, uh, is that an advantage? You could argue it's a disadvantage for the for. For professional investors, because it means that the the playing field has been leveled, which is great news for individual investors. I think I think it's become. I think our jobs as professional asset managers are uh, they've always been tough, but they're getting tougher, and they're, they're the toughest they've ever been. But that's good for savers ultimately, because it means that uh, you know the, the playing field is leveled, and that's how it should be. You would argue. On the other hand, uh, most savers have got a day job, and they don't have the experience or the balance sheets really to to be investing all the time on the international markets uh, the, that's true the piece that you wrote two weeks ago um maybe we could look at that because a, a lot of south africans are heavily invested in the magnificent seven um those seven stocks on wall street that have made all the running but being nervous i mean we've got uh, we've got nvidia in the business portfolio it's now become our biggest stock because it's up 250 percent in a year and you you got to look at that and say, hmm, it's 18% of this model portfolio that we have. Is it time not to become a little cautious and to start looking for where you can get uh, 60, uh, sorry, a dollar's worth of assets for 60 cents uh, in the purchase rather than paying a dollar 50 for assets uh, so, uh, that are worth maybe a dollar? I think this brings us into an important discussion, and NVIDIA is a good example to use. And just for the benefit of the listeners or the viewers, the uh, the article that, that we penned was uh, comparing the S&P 400, which is the, the mid-cap index returns, to the S&P 500. And yeah, there's obviously a lot of history, but we spoke about year-to-date numbers where I think yeah, as of mid-February, the S&P 500 is up 5.5%, and the 400 is up about a percent. And I'll get into the conversation. But the the crux of the article was that when you look at through the look through the data of how that performance was made up, um, you had a significant negative skew in the performance numbers in the sense that for the S and P four hundred, uh, median returns were actually negative minus one point five percent, and the average return of of the stock in that index was down 03 percent. Okay, uh, but you were actually slightly positive, so you had a very tiny tail of top performing stocks that delivered all your return. For that index, it was actually Supermicro and Decker's Outdoor. The, you know, those were 2% of the index delivering all of the return. Uh, for the S&P 500, the median returns were slightly positive. Uh, but again, the average return was bigger than the median. So again, you've got the situation of a, a tail of losers and a very small number of stocks that did very well. But that skew was 
yeah, you were more skewed in the in the smaller portfolios in the in the mid cap index. So the the point I'm making here is that your you, you in these smaller cap indices you haven't had the opportunity for winners to contribute disproportionately and become a very large part of that index because ultimately what happens is if they if you have secular outperformers or real winners that are multi-decade winners eventually those companies become big enough to move on to the S&P 500 the big winners in the S&P 500 don't have anywhere else to go and that's why you see this issue of you know one quarter of, of the market cap of the S&P 500 is five companies. And when you look at the mid-cap index, uh, that's you know, five companies is maybe 4% of, of the index. And, and I think the lesson here, and, uh, you know, one, of the, one of the sayings I often hear um, as it pertains to markets is, well, you know, trees don't grow to the sky. And I think that's a terrible analogy to use as it pertains to Equity investments, because returns are not normally distributed. Yeah, if I'll use the example of, um, let's look at something in nature, like how trees grow. Let's use that same example. Um, there's a tree called Hyperion, which is the it's the largest tree on Earth. It's a sequoia in California. Uh, the estimates are it's 600 to 800 years old, and it's taken that long to reach 116 meters high, right? As of 2019, I think was the the last numbers I saw when I Googled. Now, if we just, if we said to ourselves, okay, 10 years ago, I planted a, a 100 centimeter tall sapling and it grew at the same pace that NVIDIA's share price has grown in the last 10 years. Well, that tree would be 194 meters tall. So almost twice the height of Hyperion that took 800 years to get there. If we look back to 20, uh, 2006 data and we said, okay, at the same point in time, the, yeah, that same tree that was 115 meters tall at that point in time, if it grew at the same rate as uh, NVIDIA's share price, it would be 20, 22 kilometers tall. So, yeah, what's this crazy analogy, the point that I'm trying to make here? The point I'm trying to make is that financial markets do not follow uh, nature in terms of distribution of returns and power laws. You, know, you have you, returns to scale are a real thing, and your big winners can become outsized contributors and you need to think very carefully about cutting that stuff back as you see uh, as happens in in certain indices market cap weighted indices like the s p 500 are almost a naturally rebalancing organism where your your big winners become disproportionate contributors and your losers eventually get culled they fall into a, a lesser index that's a fascinating analogy sean just to for clarity the S&P 500 and the S&P 400, and then we'll talk about the Russell 2000 in a moment. Where are the break-off uh, areas? Uh, in other words, when do you cut off roughly from the 400 to the 500? Just so that we can understand that so the, the one is for numbers, big companies. Yeah, uh, when I last checked, I think the, the inclusion data went to about a $13 billion-odd uh, billion market cap for the S&P 400. But of course now... Its largest constituent, which is super microcomputer, some readers, some listeners may have come across this name. The, you know, the last I checked, it was up 160 percent year to date. Um, it's been a massive performer. That was like north of 40 billion dollars in market cap. So at some point in time, there are different uh, inclusion criteria like trailing profitability and, and liquidity. But at some point in time, that that stock should lose uh, should leave that index. Uh, it can't stay there forever. 
But the important thing for South Africans to realize is that by comparison with the South African market, when you talk about $13 billion, that's 250, well, 200 plus billion rand. Yeah, not too many stocks on the JSC would even get to that level. Um, so Absolutely. very few South African companies would be in the S&P 500. So when you're talking about big companies, um, we just don't have them by by that comparison. And and that brings me to the next question, which is, but surely this thing called the guerrilla game and, and being in the tech industry now for the last 25 years since I, I moved into the internet, uh, I've become very aware of this, that the bigger you are, the bigger you get. It's like a, it's, it, it supports the gorillas of the industry. Is that not uh, something to bear in mind when one starts looking at the way that the performance of these shares are over time? Absolutely. And, and I think that it's we need to think carefully about whether or not there's been a regime change in the economic structure of financial markets and the economy at large as a result of technology. Because a very interesting point to make is that yeah, I talk about large cap indices and, and large stocks within those indices having outperformed so significantly recently. Uh, yeah, Omba's done a study on this. If you look at the long-term history since 1991, the S&P 400 has actually outperformed the S&P 500. So the mid-caps have done better than the S&P 500 uh, over that time frame by a factor of 45% cumulatively. So there's been significant outperformance since the inception of that index. However, all of that outperformance took place prior to 2011. Now, 2011 might just be an arbitrary date, but the point I'm making is that, you know, the, the last 13 odd years, which is a long time, I mean, most investors won't have much more than a 10 year horizon. The last 13 years, you've seen persistent underperformance. It looks like there could have been a regime change in this secular outperformance of small versus large. And I asked myself the question, is this not because we've, you know, in, in the world we find ourselves in today, and it's probably been a 20-year story, not necessarily a 10 to 15-year story, but, you know, these things take time to evolve. You know, you've had business models that have emerged where they've created winner-take-all or winner-take-most economics via network effects, and scale begets scale, and the strong get stronger, and in many cases they can grow faster as they get bigger. So a good example I would use would be something like Meta and Google together. Those two companies are now half of global advertising revenues. Like that situation would have been unthinkable in the 1980s and 1990s. It wouldn't have existed, that, that, that extent of concentration of economic power. Um, and so I, I do ask myself, has, have we had a regime shift? And I think it's possible. So I think these very long-term studies, when you say, well, you know, small caps have outperformed, um, it, it may not be, it may not still apply those same rules because of how economics have shifted in favor of very large corporations um, gaining economic clout. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, the point that you make there is one that is very close to our industry. Well, it's our industry. Uh, what has happened in media is that Google and, uh, and Meta have come along with a vastly a superior advertising model because they get given personal information. They can then provide detailed personal information on people at one twentieth of the cost of exactly. traditional media. So 
why wouldn't they? And they have network effects that the digital business model wouldn't have afforded to a legacy advertising business back in, you know, before these companies existed. Another point worth making, uh, and it kind of stays with the, the NVIDIA theme, is um, you know, the law of large numbers often says that the bigger you get, the slower you should begin to grow because eventually you just run into scale issues. And I think for the most part that can be true, but NVIDIA, you know, that, that, that's a great example of where, and maybe it's the exception, but it, it's completely broken the rules. Uh, you know, NVIDIA is, is, is obviously 200 times bigger than it was uh, 10 years ago, but this company is experiencing its fastest ever growth rates in revenue. It's never grown as, as fast as it's growing today. So despite the increased scale, it's, uh, you know, it, it's growing faster than it has over its history which I think is quite interesting. I think the last quarterly numbers are something like 200% year-on-year, top line. Extraordinary, um, 265, yeah. But Sean, so where do we go now as investors? Because you would be looking at the S&P 400 and the Russell 2000 and saying, hang on, these, traditionally, these have underperformed the bigger companies, so that's where we should be putting our money. That's That would be the classical approach towards it. Is that the way you're looking at it? Not necessarily. I think it's a case by case basis. So I mean, I, I'm obviously you know, within within the realm of operating within an ETF driven business. Um, my bread and butter is obviously looking at companies and, and delving into the detail of each specific investment. So it's very much case by case. Alec, I wouldn't say that as a as a rule. I'm I'm culling the winners to to try and find uh, smaller stocks that are coming through the ranks. There might be small opportunities that we look at, but. Uh, on, it's very case by case. Um, yeah, we're not we're not selling out of our, out of our semiconductor winners just yet. I think the the issue that something like uh, Nvidia is starting to pose for investors at the moment is, and this is the difficulty here. You you now have a very big business, and what we're not sure about is whether or not this represents peak earnings. And interestingly, Nvidia is actually cheaper than it's been over the last couple of months on the basis of forward PE multiples. Um, but that can also be a sign of saying, well, you're starting to run into peak earnings concerns. People are starting to think about this issue. Um, how much higher can margins go when you're running at a two-thirds operating margin? Not gross margin, operating margin. Like It's the most profitable it's ever been. We haven't seen companies of this scale with, this, with that level of margin. Um, uh, yeah, and that tells you just how dominant they are in that space. Um, but I think within that sector specifically, the... Yeah, there could be other stocks like we like AMD at the moment. We think that they, um, you know, we think that they're probably the most credible second tier player within uh, data center GPU chips, for example, to drive the AI revolution. Uh, but they haven't had their hockey stick curve of uh, of increased demand yet into in data center supply. I think that's coming. Um, but you know, where's the relative delta from here? Is there more upside for their data center business? As a percentage of its current size, the versus Nvidia, I'd probably say yes. Um, so, but but you can, you know, we think you can you can own a basket of these things as well, and they'll still do quite well. And to close off with the house view, if you heavily invested in the S and P five hundred, in other words, in the big stocks and the magnificent seven, do you stick with it? My my, I think the house view has been to. Uh, to, to, to moderate exposure there because we've uh, you know we've had some trades where we've put on like an equal weighting uh, to, to equal weighted S and P five hundred. I think that those those types of trades will be tactical though. I, I don't think that you know because naturally what you're doing when you're placing a 
an equal weighted index trade on is you're saying we expect some reversion to the mean. Uh, and that, that often does happen in financial markets. You do get reversion to the mean for time periods. But then from that, from that level, you start to see your outperformers and your, and your dispersion coming through in terms of performance uh, and non-normally distributed returns. So I, I think at, to, at points in time, that makes sense. Uh, but you know, would, I, would I back an equal weighted S&P 500 over the next 10 years uh, versus the, the, just the straight index? No, that wouldn't be my call. Sean Ashton is with Omba, and I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. 